the feel nuts. Episode 143. The one where we're all cripples lying underneath God's table. The Feel Nuts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's Word. Hello, all you Theo Bochettes out there. I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. And together we are The The Theonauts! Hi, David. How's it going, man? Man, I missed you. <laughs> I know it's been too long. Been way too long. And I wonder how, uh, uh, if we have any viewers left after that, or listeners left yeah, after that, that break. I we have any viewers. Yeah, we don't have any viewers anymore. <laughs> but I meant listeners. If we have any lis- listeners left after that, what is it? Two weeks? Two or? weeks, man. It feels like it yeah. was like a, a month. But gosh, craziness ensues. Yes, it does, and so we don't have any time to do what we love to do, which is theonauts. Yeah, yeah. So, so. who knows? Maybe if more people drop a buck or two on Patreon, <laughs> we can do this full time and not have to worry about the craziness that yeah, ensues. Yeah, it was some craziness going on. So, uh, how was your week? What'd you do? Oh, it was. Uh, it was okay. It, was, it hasn't been crazy. <laughs> That's nice. A lot better this week. Yeah. So, except for we have something awesome coming up this weekend. We that do. We're getting ready for. We do. Seeker and Servant. I don't know yes. if you've heard of them, but they're an awesome worship band. Mm-hmm. Is coming to lead worship at our church and Saturday night. They're going to do a benefit concert. Yes, for, for Footprints of Charity. Yes, for Footprints of Charity. All proceeds are going to go to Haiti. Uh, actually, getting some. Uh, feet on the ground in Haiti for the mission trip coming up in November. Yes. Second week of November. Second week of November. Yeah. yeah. Denver is super psyched. Awesome. About going. <clears throat> like, Glad he's coming. I am too. I'm really I'm stoked about him coming too. We got to raise some funds. But yes. he's going to do great. So, um yeah, so we're going this this show is going to be airing Thursday the 14th. Right. So um, you still have time if you're an early listener. If you're catching the shows as they hit the hit the air, uh, you still have time to come to the show. Yes, Savoy, Texas. That's right. Yes, you can buy the tickets online at footprintsofcharity.org. Yeah, come check out an awesome worship band, and you know, do some good with your ten dollars on a Saturday night. Yeah, instead of going and watching crazy movies like It or whatever. <laughs> right. So, anyways. <laughs> So yeah, so that's good stuff, man. Yeah. Okay, on the downside, part of my craziness is, uh, man, I made a huge, stupid error at at work as a software developer. Of, yeah, a very um, a rookie mistake, a very rookie mistake that was could have been very detrimental. Yeah, uh, I a- accidentally deleted some uh, thousands of values out of the production database of one of our systems um, of a company that actually is funding loans for uh, <laughs> for housing. Yeah. And uh, there was, you know, millions of dollars on the line, and I'm just, like, blowing it out of the database. Poof! <laughs> and uh, so... So what'd you learn from that whole thing? <laughs> to back up more? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and to be uh, to to not do things in productions. <laughs> yeah, and then God's got so, you right. I mean, oh, that's the biggest lesson. Yeah, because I, because I'm telling you, there is no way you pull a mistake like that and get away with it. Right, like that was so such a detrimental mistake. But man, God be praised, there was enough residual data in the other tables. I was able to piece it back together. Um, right. So, wow. Huge, huge blessing there. Oh, but man, it took a toll on me mentally. Sure, I imagine <clears throat> it did. But, you know, sometimes we... You messed with me, man. We need to uh, to realize <laughs> just how human we are. Yes, which is good. Yes. Going into the study. Right. So this is going to be... A perfect example. Right along those lines. That's great. So you want to go ahead and dive in on this? Yeah, well, one, one more thing happened okay. this week. I just got to let it out. Uh, you know, OU beat Ohio State. 
just so. Hey, Siri got in on the action. Did you hear about that? You can go online no. and check it out. But because they took it down. But if you <laughs> punched in the button and asked who owns Ohio's <laughs> stadium, yeah. Siri will answer back Baker Mayfield. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right, let's get into the study. All right, let's do it. So when I was a kid and I first came across this guy's name, it was one of those that gave me nightmares, I'm telling you. You know, you know, in Sunday school, well, if you had Sunday school class, yeah, you're yeah. sitting there, it's Sunday school teacher, and you're turning to Second Samuel four or second yeah. uh first <laughs> Samuel nine and and uh and your teacher asks you to read and you're like, and then my of a big word. Yes. <laughs> so Mephibosheth. We're going to talk about Mephibosheth. Yes. Did I do that right? We're going to talk about Mephibosheth today. Very interesting character in our Types and Shadows, which is an ongoing series that yeah. we do here. And this is a short, short little story. Oh, man. But tiny. it's got such powerful yeah. imagery and everything in it that we decided... Okay, so we've been walking through the books of Samuel and Kings in our Sunday night Bible studies. Yes. And um, <clears throat> so what's cool is the people who are regularly coming to the study are getting like this full picture. So, so many times we've taken the li- certain stories out of this big story. Yeah. And we elevate them. You know, you got David and Goliath, you've got, you know, uh, this story sometimes shows up. Right. Um, you know, you've got David and Bathsheba, but there is so much uh, other stuff. I mean, this is a huge, dramatic story. I, you know, I, not to uh, to cast this in a negative light, but I was I was telling the people in the Bible study, this is Game of Thrones. Oh yeah, like if you, like if you're a Game of Thrones fan, right? And everyone goes, oh, "You mean that pornography HBO show?" Or but I'm like, "Have you read this stuff?" <laughs> in the Bible. Like, it's the same stuff. Oh, absolutely. Like, in fact, Rich <laughs> Mullen said it best when he said if they made the, if they made the Bible into the Old Testament into a movie, it would be rated X. <laughs> yeah. It's that gory. It's that sexual in a lot of spots. Mm-hmm. I mean, and this is just touching the t- touching War, the War, violence, oh, rape, yeah. beheadings. I mean, the whole... I mean, it's all there. Dissecting women and sending them to... <laughs> Right. Every part of the country. And I this mean, particular story, if you look at the the books of Samuel and the book of the books of Kings, yes. uh, it is so up and down. And it is about fighting for the throne and that sort of stuff. Right. So, you know, we start with Saul and all this, and then uh he doesn't want the throne, and then he gets his big head about it, and then he thinks it's about him and not about God. And I mean, it's just like all this stuff starts happening and God leaves him and and anoints David and and so, uh, but David's just a young guy. Shepherd and, boy, And yeah. so, uh, you know, but he doesn't end up taking the throne immediately. And in fact, a lot of people don't know this. There's a civil war that happens before David even gets on the throne. Right. Uh, I mean, there's just a lot. That's why you have all those psalms where David's writing, my enemies at every yes, side. all those destroy impre- them. imprecatory psalms yeah. are about the civil Saul war and all the people, <laughs> exactly. Abner. And all these guys that are just coming after David to try yeah. to kill him because David is going to be the mm-hmm. next king. So yeah, there's a huge, there's a whole lot of history. And one of the sad things is when we when we do these Sunday school lessons about David and Goliath and and then David and Bathsheba, it disjoints a lot of the story. Right. So it'd be <clears throat> it, it would behoove you to go back and to read the section by section and then get the timeline right on Mm -hmm. it. And I don't even have the timeline right. In fact, when we come into Mephibosheth, it takes me a while to remember exactly where we are, what point in the, in the story we are. And we'll kind of set that up because uh, it's important in the whole, the, to understand why this story happens. Sure. It's, you have to know the history of it. You have to know why David is doing what he's doing. Okay. So we'll just kind of give you a, uh, overarching picture. So you have this kingdom that begins basically with Saul. Right. Because this was supposed to be 
God's king, a theocracy. Right. God's kingdom. He's supposed to be the king. And um, and these judges were set up to kind of be the ones to uh, not necessarily rule over, but to make uh, decisions on God's behalf. Right. Be their mouth. Be his mouthpiece. To be the governmental. <clears throat> but they were so on again, off again, and that sort of thing all through the book of the, Ju- the book of Judges. And then they demand a king. Like it's like every other nation around here has a king. Why can't we? Yeah. And so they're talking to Samuel and saying, hey, we need a king. And so that's when Saul comes into the picture. And he's what everybody wants. Like he's the big, strong guy. He's head and shoulders above everybody else. He's the champion. And they know they're about to go to war with all these neighbors. Right. And so they're like, yes. We need that guy. <clears throat> Warrior king. This is what we need. Exactly. And so they get him. And, of course, there's all kinds of stuff that happens. And... um and he ends up failing God. And Samuel's right there with him trying to tell him, this is what you need to do, this is what you need to do. He keeps failing. So David gets anointed as king, who's the youngest of his house. Right. He's, uh, he's not in the lineage of the king at all. Mm-mm. He's in a different tribe. So Saul was in the tribe of Benjamin. David's in the tribe of Judah. So he's like, what in the world's going on with Samuel coming over here and naming my son, this is you know like uh, Jesse, naming my son King, king as the youngest son too. He's not even picking the the, <laughs> right. the strong the strong one. He lines up all his sons, and you know Samuel struts in front of him and picks out yep. David. Yeah, first he says, "Oh well, yeah, this isn't all your sons." Right? Oh, oh well, yeah, the youngest one's out in the field working. Like, <laughs> Bring him in. What do you want with that guy? <laughs> right. So anyway, he ends up uh, getting named king. But then you have this whole episode with with the Phil- Philistine battle and Goliath and all that. And of course, we know how that all that ends up. And then uh, Saul's like, he's got this reputation of taking all the champions and bringing them in. Like, all my champions hang out at my castle. You know? Right. <laughs> and so he's got his crew. You know, he's, he's got his... his, his uh, David's mighty men. Is that what you're talking about? Or are you talking about Saul? Saul, yeah. Oh, yeah. Saul, Saul and he, his he, champions are he, hanging he, out. He, yeah, right. he's got his okay. little... He's got his crew. Right. And so David becomes part of the crew and actually ends up, you know... Running it. Playing music. Oh, yeah. For him and all this stuff. But yeah, he ends up being a champion right. that's too good. He's a little too good. Yeah. Everybody in Israel starts singing, you know, Saul's killed his uh, hundreds and David's yeah. killed his tens, was it? Yeah. No, thousands, thousands and tens, tens of thousands. Yeah. yeah and, so, and so, yeah, Saul starts getting jealous of David. And uh, anyway, plus, God kind of leaves Saul. And however you want to make of this, a spirit comes upon Saul that uh, that tortures him, torments right. him. So he wants to kill David. And so this all leads to, okay, David and Saul's actual son, Jonathan, are really close pals. Like, they're buddies. Best friends, yeah. <clears throat> and, uh, and so uh, Jonathan actually helps David escape Saul. Right. And, um, and so... You also have the situation, well, before all that happens, where Saul's trying to get David killed, and he says, you know what? I'll give you my daughter. Yeah. You want to marry my daughter? Go out there and bring me 200 foreskins, or 100 foreskins of these Philistines. Philistines, yeah. And David... Did it. (laughs) Yeah. In fact, he doesn't even really want this because he feels like he's unworthy of the hand of the the princess. Right. But But he's like... But I can earn it. This like I can't afford the bride price. But if this is the bride price, I can afford that. I right. can go get some some Philistine foreskins. <laughs> <laughs> so exactly he goes. Right. Up, he doubles the amount. He yeah. brings back two hundred. Gets the girl, and of course this makes Saul even matter because more he's mad. trying to. Yeah, <clears throat> he ends up having to run away, and Jonathan helps him, and he basically loses his wife. Uh, Saul gives her to somebody else. Right. So anyway, during all of this, David ends up in exile in the wilderness on the run. And half of First Samuel happens during this during time, that time d- yeah. during all this. And Saul's constantly either coming at him or, you know, whatever. So at any at one point, you have Jonathan, who's his buddy, and Jonathan says, You're gonna be king. I know you're gonna be king. And here's the deal, and this is in 1 Samuel 20, or one of the places, 1 Samuel 20, uh, 14 through 17. Um, he says, I know that you're going you're gonna to rule. Here's the deal. I'm going to be your enemy's son. 
And if I'm still around, please don't kill me. <laughs> right. <laughs> because that was what you had to do, right? He if, says in verse 14, if I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die and do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. Yes. Okay, so you see... <laughs> Powerful. Yeah, so uh, Saul uh, is is asking for mercy here. Uh, and he doesn't even... David's not even king. But he right. says, when, it, when this happens, remember our love and remember my children right and make sure that they're taken care of and because i know that god's going to want to wipe out your enemies and please have mercy on me and this happens like not only that one time three times he begs him for this and each time david swears to him i swear to you your house will never die right as long as as if i have anything to say about it and so um so to make a long story short, you have uh, David ending up coming into the throne in a really diplomatic way. So cool. What ends up happening is the Philistines end up defeating Saul. Saul yep. And Saul and his sons, uh, one of them being Jonathan, right. die in, in the battle. The battle. Uh-huh. Now, the general who's in charge of Saul's army, Abner, sets... Saul's only surviving son, Ishbosheth, up as king. Now, Ishbosheth is a he's a, he's a wimp. He's you know, and he's also a footnote. Yeah. So, <laughs> and so he's king of Israel. Right. Well, Judah is like the tribe of Judah is like David's the one who was named king by God. So right. they made him their king. So now you've got kind of two kingdoms going on. Right. And this is where this whole um, civil war. Begins right, and uh, of course, um, uh, David's um, David's uh, general Joab, which is also his nephew, by the way, ends. Uh, see, this is sounding just like I mean, I'm telling you, this is Game, Game of, Thrones. of Thrones. Sure. <laughs> so David's uh, general Joab ends up murdering Abner as they're making truce. Finally, okay, so Abner had gotten in a fight with Ishbosheth over a woman. <laughs> because Ishbosh, uh, Abner, which is the general, took Saul, the dead king, Saul's concubine. Right. And Ishbosheth is like, what are you doing? That's my concubine. I inherit the, 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 the harem. <laughs> the harem, that's right. <laughs> which is another weird thing. You inherit your dad's... Concubines. Concubines. Ah, that's kind of... <laughs> anyway. Game of Thrones. <laughs> Anyways. So anyway... Uh, so there's this little fight between the two, and Abner goes, well, fine. You know what? I'll get on David's side, which is a bad deal because Abner was like, he was in control. Right. So he comes over to make a deal with David, and while all this is happening, David's entourage takes Abner out, yeah. kills him. And then uh, and then some mercenaries, they end up sneaking into Ishbosheth's room and killing him and bringing his head to David thinking, hey, hey, we're going to be in we good. We did great, yeah. The, and, well, they don't realize that David is a man of honor. That's right. And so um, he was very upset and ended up killing them. Now there's no one to stop him from sitting on the throne. But he doesn't seize the throne. He sets back for, for a few years, actually, and lets the, the tribal elders decide, you know what? Judah has a king. And we're kind of out of luck at this point. <laughs> right. And so they, and they realize also God's authority and God's anointing. So they come to David. Will you please be our king too? Wow. So anyway, it just, yeah. it works out in God's favor. And David gives God all the glory for all this. Sure. And so he ends up sitting on the throne of the entire nation and so starts subduing all the enemies around them. The Philistines, uh, Ammon, Moab. I mean, he's putting them all in their place. And securing things. And then what he does is he goes and he takes Jerusalem, which was never owned by Israel at this point. Right. But it is the it is the the biggest stronghold in the nation. And he takes it away from the the Amalekites that, that are in there. He takes it away from them. Right. Sneaks and, through the aqueducts, doesn't he? And yes, <laughs> yeah. actually. And and then ends up using it as his um Kingdom as, uh, as, 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 as the seat. Right. And so uh, so now that he's got everything taken care of, then this story 
takes place. Right. And so, uh, so I know that was kind of long and drawn out to get us there, but what's important is we had to get to the place where David was promising Jonathan that he would take care of his house. Right. And uh, so this has been years since that. Right? Oh, yeah. And David's finally at a place where he's got a little peace. Now, Jonathan had a son. And uh, this son is first mentioned in 2 Samuel 4. So uh, if you can read 2 Samuel 4, verse 4, we, sure. we learn about this guy. Give me one <clears throat> second. My computer's doing screwy things. <laughs> 2 Samuel 4, verse 4. Let me pull it up over here. So this is going to take Sorry, place. I meant to. Second Samuel four is going to take place while one of these battles is going on. Okay. Um, in the civil war, and so uh, when Ishbosheth has been killed, I mean, there's all this stuff going on, and uh, in the midst of all the drama, right, this happens. All right. So Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. Okay, so we have Mephibosheth being mentioned. This is Jonathan's son who is crippled because his nursemaid apparently dropped him. Right. On the way, while trying to flee the um, the uh, estate or wherever it was where, where they were at, because the Philistines were attacking, right. and all of this drama was going on with Judah, and uh, so anyway, she ends up dropping him, and he becomes crippled. Right. Um, so, a couple of things to to mention here is first off, I want to talk about his name. Okay. So Mephibosheth uh, mm-hmm. was his name. If you now, in case you don't know this, First and Second Chronicles tells the same story, right? But it's a much more, it's less dramatic, and it's more straight to the point, right? It's just simple, um, like a uh, a record of what happened, right? And so in in the book of Chronicles, his name is not Mephibosheth, but it is. Meribal. Right, Meribal. So uh, now the the Baal at the end, Baal, Baal, B-A-A-L, at this point in history did not mean the pagan god. What it meant was Lord. And so uh, it was very common, especially for kings, to use this in the names of their sons. So that so it was like the 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 son of the Lord, or the, right. you know, whatever. So uh, Mephibaal is, or Meribaal, is his actual given birth name. However, it's very interesting that at some point his name gets changed. Now, some say that his name was changed by the scribes because Baal had become the name right. of this pagan god, and out of shame, or out of... Um, of a desire to get away from to, to to not have it reflect that pagan god's name, that it was changed. That's mm-hmm. one theory. Um, but what it was changed to was a negative. Makes it yes. So it thing. was changed to Mephibosheth. Uh, the word boshet is it means um, shame. Right. The shamed one. And so uh, it's it's interesting then. That he would be that that this word shame is now attached to him, right? And so, if you think about, he's a, so it changed from from the mouth of God mm-hmm. to the mouth of shame, right? From the mouth of shame, right? Right. So, <laughs> um, if we st- if we stop and think about, it, this is where those types and shadows are going to start happening, right? Okay, so let's go to the Garden of Eden for a minute. You got mankind, yeah. We are in the presence of God. Mm-hmm. No sin. Constant, constant light, right? We're in paradise. We are basically from the mouth of God, right? We, we are 
in that condition. He, well, yeah, God's focus in the being, you know? Yes. That's awesome. Okay, so what We're happened? Into us, the what happened life. to this child? <laughs> he fell. He, he, he fell and was crippled. Yeah. And the fall changed him. Right. It changed him from being this uh, essence of God and being with God or from the mouth of God to being shamed. And this mouth, okay, so what did Adam and, and Eve, what was the first thing they did whenever they realized what they had done? It was shame. Yeah. Let's clothe ourselves. That's right. Let's go clothe ourselves. Ourselves. Complete shame. So all already, I mean, we haven't even got past the first verse, but we've already got this connection between this man or this child and our history, mankind's history. Right. And so, um, what's what's really cool is. Now remember also that what's about to happen in chapter 9 of 2 Samuel is the result of a promise Hmm. that was made. So if we go into the Old Testament and we read um, Genesis chapter 12, or 10, 11, and 12, you start to read about, um, or sorry, 12, 13, and 14, you're, you're reading about Abraham. The covenant, yep. And the covenant that God makes with Abraham, which the Apostle Paul actually brings up in Galatians and says, and Romans, and says, this is why Jesus is here. There was a promise that was made that would redeem all of mankind. Right. And so because the promise was made, the Lord comes looking for us because Mm. we are lost children. And we are estranged from him, and he is—he wants to bring us into the promise. Okay, so let's look at uh, chapter nine uh, of Second Samuel, and let's look at the first five verses there. Okay, chapter nine of Second Samuel. So this is after everything's cooled off. Right, David's comfortable now. He's established, oh, by the way, he's established the uh, Ark of the Covenant back, so he's got the religious things in order. Right. He's got the war stuff in order. He's got everything kind of secure at this point. Good. And then this happens. All right. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone in the house of Saul that I may show kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Emilial, at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Emil, at Lodabar. Okay, so all of a sudden, David turns his focus, the king turns his focus to the promise. So he remembers, he doesn't even know that Mephibosheth exists. exists that's right. He, but he remembers the promise. And so he begins a search for the lost son right and um and so when I, I was thinking about this in terms of how we can relate to it and one of the things that i think is is interesting is god's timing like god operates in his own time right he's not subject to our time at all in fact you know, people are constantly like um, one of the reasons why people even doubt the existence of Jesus is because not everything has been fulfilled yet, and there's this, you know, question of, well, is this, you know, going to happen? It's right. been two thousand years, and and so uh, it's it's like, okay, well, God doesn't operate in your time. Why in the world He made this promise to Abraham three thousand years right. before Jesus shows up? Right. Right. So. Um, 
why exactly was there this gap of time between the promise which was made and the appearance of Jesus, who would actually be the redemption of mankind. And now that we have the Bible, we can actually see a lot of it. We can see God, what he's doing through history to prepare the way for his son. Um, But if we look at David, we see a similar thing. He made the promise after he was anointed king. Right. But he wasn't on the throne yet. He didn't have uh, security at this point. Uh, Even after he got on the throne, when he could have started this, there was still civil war happening. There wasn't security. Uh, He didn't have the religious things in order. He didn't have uh, a proper place to worship set up. It was like the king was preparing a place for this to happen. And it was like, because I want, if I'm going to bring in and, and fulfill this promise, it needs to be in a time when it will be appropriate for what needs to happen. So for one, I think that's interesting. It, it, we also look to, in us individually, how many people go to church their whole lives and never commit to Christ? And it's like, you know, you grew up sitting in the pew, but just ne- it never sank in. And then like, 10, 15, 20 years later, that person, something happens. Wow. Something happens in that person's life, and all of a sudden, they're prepared. Like, they, everything is in the right place, and God reaches in and touches that person. There's like, all of a sudden, there is the finding of the lost son. And so, I think that's really cool that there's this gap in preparation sure that happens here well yeah it, it definitely teaches us patience <laughs> right <laughs> which is pretty amazing but the fact that he is good to his word it doesn't matter the time frame right he's good he's good for it right the promise is like david here was a promise keeper right like he's keeping the promise it might have taken a while but it's the same way with god god's going to operate in his time but he's still a promise keeper. But it's going to happen. Right. Yeah. And so um, I also find it interesting that that the king sends out a servant mm-hmm. to go get, uh, and that to me, that's a, that's a Holy Spirit representation. Sure. Um, and so he says, I've got this, there is a son. There is a son uh, named Mephibosheth. So he's the shamed one. He's from the mouth of shame. Right. And he is crippled. I think about this for a second. Um, he's crippled means that he's not self-sufficient. Right. Like, especially in their time. Yeah, and that's a big thing I wanted to look at, is okay. the fact that during that time frame, I mean, a crippled man is basically a worthless man mm-hmm. in that time frame. There's no... There is, there's no... Uh, Affirmative action here for cripples. <laughs> right. Uh, this isn't. I'm disabled. <laughs> I'm disabled. <laughs> yes. There's there's no wheelchair for this guy. There's no there's no uh, you know any kind of um, ADA compliance. Exactly. There's no ADA <laughs> compliance. No wheelchair ramps. Right. Nothing like that. This is this is a time frame when if you were crippled, it was because God was punishing you mm, for yes. something that you yes. had done. And hence, uh, you go from being the mouth of God to being the mouth of shame. Exactly, and you are shamed, and you are considered shamed. All right, mm-hmm. now, and you got to think about who this guy is. Actually, I mean, he's he's the grandson of Saul, mm. right? Yes, which is, and this guy doesn't have a very good name in Israel anymore, mm-hmm. at all, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So he he doesn't have a lot going for him. This guy, right. He's hanging out, and who knows what he's doing over there, but I guarantee you that he's not having a great life. No, in fact, uh, the places that are mentioned here are actually kind of hard historically to place. This Lodabar Mm -hmm. uh, that's mentioned, uh, uh, scholars tend to think that it was somewhere east of... um, uh, which is which was the capital. That's where Saul was at. Okay, uh, which is just right on the other side of the, it's when uh, Jordan now, just on the other side of the Jordan River, um, and but it means he was way up out of the way, like 
this guy was in hiding. Yeah. And um, and so now the the residence of Saul was being cared for by the servant, but this guy is nowhere to be found, right? I mean, he's he's still kind of hidden away. Right. Um, and also in 2 Samuel 4, it mentions, I think the reason why the crippling is mentioned there is because as the chronicler is writing this, he's wanting you to know there are no viable sons to sit on the throne. Right. So Ishbosheth is dead and or is about to be killed, and Mephibosheth is not a viable option. Option for the throne. Right. And so he's basically telling us, and the reason that that he's he's not self-sufficient. Right. Which comes back to the model. We are insufficient in order oh, on, yeah. on our own. We are completely insufficient we cannot save ourselves there is there's no way we can obey the law there is no way we can be righteous in god's eyes mm. on our own so here we are kicked out of eden crippled shamed mm-hmm. and non-self-sustainable and hiding yes. from god which is exactly what you know adam and eve did they, they hid and then they were kicked out in shame yeah it's a perfect picture and we've been hiding ever since, right? right. I mean, we, we're we're out there, and and if you look at uh, some of the writings th- there about Jesus and some of the things that Jesus was saying, what it, it says, you know, he will forsake the ninety nine to go look for the one, yeah, or it, or the parable about the woman who loses her coin, coin. and mm-hmm. she searches the entire house looking for the coin. This is a representation of how important your soul is, how important you as a cripple. Insufficient, um, nothing. Bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, why it, you are important and to God that He's that He is going to search for you. The same. Why? Because He made a promise. Amen. And that is exactly what is happening here in this story. David made the promise, and now He's looking for Him, and He He finds Him, and um, and He happens to be crippled, which fits right into. You know, being insufficient. So there's no way he can earn the king's favor. That's right. There's nothing he can do to earn the king's favor. But let's look at at uh, how he responds in verse 6 through 10. Hmm. He says, uh, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land that Saul, your father, and uh, all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Okay, well, let's go ahead and stop there, because there's too much cool stuff going on in here. (laughs) Okay, so what is Mephibosheth's response? Oh, well, put yourself in Mephibosheth's shoes, Mm. okay? Here's David. King. King, warrior king, warrior king, <laughs> who not only is warrior king but has usurped your lineage. Yes, so yes. he is your grandfather's mortal enemy, right? <laughs> yes, who God destroyed your grandfather in order to make this guy king. Yeah, and now you're in hiding from this guy <laughs> because. He's, you know, he's the mortal enemy of your family. And so... so in his mind, what's he deserving? Well, what's he <laughs> thinks going to happen? Right. What he, what he knows is going to happen is that, in his mind, what he knows is going to happen is, this is it. David's bringing me over here to kill the last of the line. Mm-hmm. Now, I can't understand. And I wonder what I wonder what's going through his mind as he's traveling, because he's probably thinking, I'm crippled. I'm no challenge I'm for this guy. I'm, I'm, disabled. I'm disabled. Right? Yes. I'm no challenge for this guy. Why in the world does he want to kill me off? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I I, don't want the throne. He can have whatever he wants. Yes. Leave me alone. <laughs> Please don't hurt me. Mm. So he's going through his mind. What am I going to do when I get there? And when he gets there, he immediately does the only thing he can do, which is fall face down on his face, right? Mm-hmm. And say, uh, <laughs> basically forgive me paid and paid him homage you're the king i yeah. get it you're the Behold, king i'm your servant right and uh yeah and you think about it uh even though 
none of Mephibosheth's acts are recorded, so we don't really know much about what kind of a guy he was. Right. We, but we do know that basically just for being who he was, he was deserving death. He was deserving death. That, but not for any deed he did, but simply because of who he is. That's right. The simple fact that we are under the fall mm. makes us deserving of death. Right. Sin is in our very nature. We, we cannot hide from it. We cannot look away from it even. I mean, it, it draws us. Yeah. So, um, so it's like we are deserving of death. Yeah. And the wages of sin is death. Yeah. And so Mephibosheth realizes here, I'm deserving death because of my name, because of who I am. Mm. And as you said, his only, his, the only thing he could do, he couldn't say, hey, let me go do this for you. Let me go lift this for you. Let me go carry this for you. Let me go be an ambassador for you. There's nothing he could do. Right. All he could do was beg yeah. for mercy. Behold, I'm your servant. And that's exactly how we come to God. That's exactly how we come to Jesus. Definitely. We, we realize there's nothing we can do. As soon as we truly meet God for who he is, the, mm-hmm. the first natural thing that we do um, is we realize who he is, realize who we are, mm-hmm. and we do just like Isaiah, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, yes, I dwell yes. amongst the people. Yes. And the reality is, is we realize our sin, and so Mephibosheth realizes who he is and falls at the feet of the king, which mm. is pretty powerful. And Okay, so God demands yeah. a fear. Like his very essence of who he is. Oh, absolutely. Demands that. Right. Like um what did Solomon say? That the the whole the whole thing is about the fear of God. Like, right. like that is what we are made for. Right. Like if and God's loving and, and we love him and all that. But if God shows up in your face, like when you see him for the first time, dude, you're gonna be shaking in your boots. Yeah. Like that's but at the same time, it's a reverent fear. It's not. It's not fear of, of. Um, it's not like once we have found him, he becomes our father, and there's a totally different thing. But coming to him, th- th- there's this reverent fear, and is that not what makes grace so sweet in a lot of ways? Oh, certainly, yes. <laughs> is knowing the other side of that, mm. knowing what could happen to you, yes, knowing what you know. What God could do with with a look, mm. right? Yes, and, and and knowing that you don't measure up to His standard, <laughs> and so it's awesome. Yeah. David's first words to him: I love, "Do not fear, fear, yeah, for I will show you kindness, yeah. for the sake of your father Jonathan." And so, is this not the same words we get? Mm-mm. Whenever we come and we throw ourselves at his mercy, his response is, don't be afraid. What did, what did Jesus tell his disciples as he was about to leave? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Yeah. I'm coming back for you. Right. There's, there is a, a place for you that I'm going to put together for you. Um, and, of course, the promise that's given here, he says, I will restore to you all the land of Saul. I'm going to give Think about you that. <laughs> the inheritance of a king. Yeah. This is land David deserved because David won back won the crown. That's like, right. Like this is David's stuff. The cool one of the, David's cool honorable things is though, he set that land aside. He the servant was actually living kind of high off the hog because he had all the stuff right. to, to to maintain. Um and so now it's all going to be Mephibosheth. Like he says, I'm giving all of this to you. He becomes the inheritor. So we, as sons of God, become inheritors. inheritors. And we inherit his kingdom. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Wow, what? <laughs> That's so awesome. Yeah, and and joint heirs with Christ. I mean that. I mean, as it says right there in in the New Testament, we are children by adoption. Yeah. Okay. So now Mephibosheth is not David's 
uh, bloodline. He's a different tribe completely. Right. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. But uh, but David here makes him family. Look what he says next. You shall eat at my table always. Now, this is a big thing in Jewish custom mm-hmm. because the table is is sacred in a lot of ways. You do not eat with anyone unworthy. You and that's why there in the New Testament there's so much uh there's so much uh problems in the New Testament church, right? The whole book of Galatians is written because of this issue. <laughs> right. Paul is writing to Peter basically, well, he's writing to the church of Galatia, but uh he's talking about how Peter rejected the Gentiles and wouldn't sit and eat with them. Why? Because he considered them unworthy because they were dirty, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So so eating at a Jewish man's table, when he invites you to eat his table, he invites you into fellowship with him. Yes. Which is something that is um, very profound to them. They don't do it off the cuff. Right. When Jesus goes in and eats with yeah. Zacchaeus, it was a scandal. Why? Right. Because people viewed Zacchaeus as completely worthy. Yeah. Why would you eat at Zacchaeus's house, Jesus? Mm-hmm. I can't believe that. He's a dirty tax collector. So here David is, and he's inviting Mephibosheth to the king's table yes. to sit down and eat with him. Not for a week. For the rest. Not for a month. That's right. Forever. For the rest of his life. You will eat at my table always, mm. and oh man, I just love the I, I love the fact that this shows you David's um, faithfulness mm-hmm. to his promises. It shows you David's mercy, his kindness, his love for uh, the the ones he made the promises to. So. Th- what, what does it tell us in the Old Testament? It tells us that David was a man after whose own heart? God's. He was a man after God's own heart. This is, this is God's reaction. This is, David is mirroring what God would do, what right. God is doing. And so uh, I just think it's so cool. So beautiful. So if, go ahead and read 8 through 10 there. Okay. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant? That you should so show regard for a dead dog such as I. <laughs> I, I just love that response. Oh yeah, he realizes, and a dog, and again in in Hebrew, yes, language. It's like gentile, a gentile. That's right, <laughs> yep. unclean animal. That's right. Verse nine. Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, "All that belongs to Saul, and to all his house, I have given to your master's grandson." And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Naziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. So I find it interesting that it tells us how many... Uh, it tells us that Ziba was pretty well off at this point. Even though he was a servant by himself, right. he ends up with servants of his own and 15 kids. Mm-hmm. So, uh, But that being aside, okay, so going back to the dead dog statement, mm. is this not an example of worship and praise? Like, I mean, I don't want to be blasphemous. He's not actually worshiping David, but the posture of what he's doing here is the same yeah. as what worship is, yeah. which is, I mean, how many times have we sung Amazing Grace right. that saved a wretch like, like me? me. Mm. Isn't that what Mephibosheth is saying? Mm. I'm a dead dog. I don't deserve this. I have, I'm so unworthy of this. Like, why would you do this? This doesn't even make sense. You're the king. You don't have to do this. Mm. But, uh, but David did it anyway, and makes the servant that sought him now serve him. Right. So stop and think about that for a minute. The same thing that drew us to Christ, the Holy Spirit, walks beside us even now, everywhere we go, guiding us, taking care of us, 
It's good stuff. And 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 helping us. That's exactly what this servant's doing. He's he is becoming. You're a cripple. Right. You can't do a whole lot on your own. Right. Who's going to till the ground? Who's going to work the soil? Who's going to? The servant is, the helper, yeah. that has been given to him. The comforter. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what we have. We we have we have a comforter. We have a helper who's with us all the time, Amen. making sure that the things we can't do. You might think you can toll the ground, but you can't do it like he can. Right. You might think that you can work your field, but you can't do it like he can. You you're a cripple. Okay. <laughs> let the servant work. Right. Let let the Holy Spirit be your guide. Let him be the one to do all the work. Let wow. him do uh, God's will in you. Uh, so anyway, it's just all this cool stuff. Sure. The reminder once again that he remember, you're gonna be at the at the table of the king forever. Right. I mean that just keeps coming up. Yeah. And of course, uh the last the last couple of verses are uh just kind of interesting because it's kind of a and he lived happily ever after type of, right. of thing. Verse eleven, then Ziva said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands, his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mm. That description right there, <laughs> we're going to eat at the king's table like his son. Yes. We're adopted sons and daughters of the Joint high king. Joint heirs with Christ. Oh, it's beautiful. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet, and I love it that keeps, little tag. Yes, he's like, remember, he, this guy was lame, and he's <laughs> eating at the king's table. Yes, wow. And and that whole thing right there, the, the very last verse, Mephibosheth lived in where Jerusalem, mm. okay, the seat of the king. Right, the Revelation refers to New Jerusalem, where we are going to reside. Right, yes. so you have this whole. There is even in the name, there is a model here. He's living in Jerusalem as an adopted son of the king, eating at the king's table. He invites me to the banqueting table. <laughs> yes. That is so beautiful, you know? And that's exactly this is a picture of of somebody bought by grace. And and may I be lame in both my feet. Yeah. Yeah, and may I remember that for all the rest of my yeah. days. Keep reminding me. Put it as the last verse of my of my story because this is the pretty much the last. Put of, it on of my tombstone. Story. Yes, and he was lame. And he was feet. lame in both of his feet. That needs to be on a t shirt. Yeah, that's good stuff. <laughs> oh. All right, man. You got uh, you got some news for yeah, us. Yeah, let's do it. And now the news. All right, let's see here. Where do I want to start? Um, so much good stuff, right? I mean, there's just so much good stuff. Of course, we need to definitely be praying for the hurricanes that have been hitting Houston and Florida and Haiti and everywhere else in mm-hmm. uh, in that vicinity. Um, crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Now, praise the Lord that, you know, the hurricane Irma kind of subsided it didn't do half as much damage as what they thought it was going to do i know it's really strange yeah just kind of like chilled which i think is a god thing so okay so this is like a category five hurricane yeah and it's like when it was in the atlantic like off the coast of haiti it was measured at uh a greater than a category five like if there was a greater category it would have been it 185 mile an hour winds. <laughs> Sustained. Sustained. So that's like ongoing. <laughs> yeah. Like like sand and water flying at 180 miles an hour is going to just rip flesh. Shred things. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so I'm thinking about this. I'm sitting there watching because I got all these friends in Haiti and I'm watching this thing. And at one point I opened up the, the, the satellite imagery and I can't even see Haiti. <laughs> it's gone. Like yeah. it's underneath the hurricane. And I'm thinking, oh no, because they suffered from uh, Hurricane Matthew last year, and it was so devastating. And I'm thinking, oh, logging off can't take this. Like, like this is going to be horrible. And so, whenever it passes by, and we reach out to all of our connections in Haiti, uh-huh. every one of them, this is what they say: "Well, we got a little rain." I was like, "What? R- really? A little rain?" And that's pretty much it. There, I, there was some. 
there was more damage on the northern coast, but I really don't know anybody up there. Wow. Uh, but yeah, all the all the places where we where we work was pretty much unaffected. And I was like, how does that happen? How does a category five plus hurricane pass right over you and you get a little rain out of the deal? Yeah, it's got to be a God thing. It has to be the power of prayer right there. So we definitely need to be praying for Houston. And, you know, we had the whole debacle with the uh, um, Joel Olstein's church. I don't oh, know if you yeah. Read all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't pull up any of that in the news because I just think it's all yeah, just I'm just going to stay up. away from that. But it cracked me up. Did you see the Babylon V? <laughs> On Joel Osteen, Joel Osteen cruises around in yacht, passing out yes, books of your yeah. best life now. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Anyway, so there's a lot of negativity in the news, but there's a, a positive story that I like coming out of this, uh, coming out of the hurricanes. Um, Pam Burke from Central Florida has a father on oxygen and feared that com- the coming hurricane would cause her home to lose power. She raced to the nearest Lowe's only to find that the last generator had been purchased. But when Rowan Santiago saw uh, Burke burst into tears after learning that he just bought the last one, he did something truly inspiring. He gave it to her and comforted her as she cried, assuring her that everything would be okay. Wow. That is awesome. I just love that. You know, it's a beautiful little picture, mm-hmm. a little nugget in the middle of a, of a storm. So it's nice. All right. Uh, Trump will phase out uh, DACA, the DACA program for undocumented youth. Have you heard about that? No. Um, as widely expected today, Donald Trump announced that he would wind down the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program started by his predecessor, President Obama. Uh, DACA, as as it was known, provide protections for undocumented youth who were brought over to the country when they were too young to have a say. Uh, he says, I am here today to announce that the program known as DACA that was effectuated under the Obama administration is being rescinded. Attorney General Jeff Sessions said Tuesday, Sessions explained the program will end in six months, which gives Congress a window of opportunity to pass legislation that would protect DREAMers. In order to qualify for the program, DREAMers has to have a high school degree or equivalent of one of the spotless one of a or of one and a spotless criminal record. Some eight hundred thousand youth qualified who today have jobs or are attending college, starting families, and pursuing careers. Many of them have little or no connection with the places they're being sent to. All right, so it's met with controversy, of mm. course. A lot of people have been frustrated uh, because they feel like that Trump's going to just send back all those right. kids. Right. But basically, he's just trying to replace it with his own legislation, the Dreamers Act. And I don't know about it. I'm not going to comment about it, but there have been a lot of Protestant Christians that are really angry at him for it. So Hmm. either way you go, I think that we need to take care of people in America, but, you know, they need to come here legally. So anyways, yeah, that's my two cents. Uh, So the DACA thing, and then this is really cool. Uh, This is from Relevant Magazine. I'm just going to read it because it's funny. All right, we've all been there. You're just doing some spring cleaning, minding your own business, when out of nowhere you stumble upon the thing you've been missing for ages. Maybe it's your favorite T-shirt. Maybe it's a picture frame you'd given up for for lost. Or my wedding ring that happened. (laughs) Maybe it's the skeletal remains of Peter, the rock upon which Christ built his church. You know, just normal stuff that goes missing. Holy ghost power. That's awful. (laughs) The latter case is not terribly common, but it has purportedly happened (laughs) in the 1,000-year-old Church of Santa Maria in Capella in the district of uh, Traverstere, a medieval warren of cobbled lanes on the banks of the Tiber River. A maintenance worker was doing some odd jobs in an older section of the church that had been blocked off for the past 35 years. Lifted up a marble slab and, well, what do you know? He found two ancient Roman pots reportedly filled with the bones of not just Peter, but also Pope Cornelius, Pope Kalidus, and Pope Felix, and a few early Christian martyrs. 
<laughs> in Indiana Jones, I just love this, the way they write this. In Indiana Jones, these pots would have been protected by a row of swinging saw blades, a rickety old rope bridge over a pit of fire ants, and a fiery sword of Michael the Archangel. But in this case, they'd just been misplaced so long ago that people had all but forgotten they ever existed, although there was evidently some idea they may have been in the church at some point. You think Don Verdeen was involved? Don Verdeen. <laughs> Not cool, okay? Get the Marines. Get the Taliban. Get the Mormon Tabernacle Choir if you have to, but find the Pillar of Salt. <laughs> Legend has it that Pope Urban II hid the pots in the Church of Santa Maria during a schism in the late 1300s. So are they legitimate? No one knows for sure right now, but it's possible. The early church was famous for, for preserving the bodies of important figures, and Peter definitely would have qualified. The bones are being taken to the Vatican for further ex examination and hopefully some answers. Hmm. So how do you figure out if those bones are Peter's or not? What do you got, some DNA? Yeah. Seriously. Okay, I'm going to examine these. Must be Peter. Well, it looks like a bone. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got. All right, uh, let's see. You could probably tell if he was like Jewish descent or whatever. I guess in how old they are, but maybe. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> uh, let's see where I'm. Where else am I? Okay, so I got some today in church history. Hop in our TARDIS. Yes, and go back in time. William Wadford was blind, but this did not make him worthless. On the contrary, as he sat by the fire in his English home in the mid-19th century, his hands kept busy, writing out useful objects, objects such as shoehorns. His mind was active, too, whittling out such, sorry. Called on to preach from time to time and rule English church, William Wilford composed sermons in his head and delivered on Sundays. He memorized a huge amount of the Bible, which he quoted verbatim in his sermons. Some of, some of the folk thought he had memorized the entire scripture, cover to cover. Williams also composed lines of verse, and he prayed. So one day, as he was sitting today, as he was sitting uh, in his in his home in... Let's see, September 13th, 1845, uh, he gave one of his friends these lines. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care and bids me at my father's throne make all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief and oft escaped the snare, tempter's snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer. <laughs> so today in awesome. 1845, William penned sweet hour of prayer. Cool. Yeah, it's pretty neat. And then I got some Pope news. Favorite thing in the world. <laughs> All right, so you may have heard that Pope Francis took a fall and got a black eye and what? a bloody cheek. That's right. Holy ghost power. That's awful. <laughs> Pope Francis fell over during a mass uh, as a celebrate in Poland as a celebration for Youth Day. There are pictures of it all over the internet, including a video of it that's quite hysterical. Oh, I'm sure it'll get remixed and... One of those uh, shooting star videos will be made out of it. <laughs> so, yeah, it's going to be great. But uh, <laughs> So when interviewed about why he fell, Pope Francis said that he was looking at the Madonna and forgot the step when he fell during the Mass in Poland. The pontiff caused concern when he took a tumble last week during the public Mass, uh, and he said he was focused on the Madonna as he was walking down, and he just lost his step. So I guess mm. there was a big, beautiful picture of mary and he was stunned by her and, <laughs> and took a tumble <laughs> so let's pray that the pope gets uh healed quick mm. but uh man that's all i got really yeah all right well hey you want to get on out of here hey we need to yeah we didn't do a shout out to a new patreon oh we do uh karen is our new patron uh as of this month so yeah Thanks and welcome aboard, Karen. Uh, we will, uh, uh, if you guys want to follow her lead and uh, help us out a little bit, you can go to patreon.com slash theonauts. That's right. And uh, every every penny help, help. So thank you so much, yeah. Karen, for your So we can get uh, 
uh, Jeremiah to do this full time. That's right. Forget about teaching kids <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> All right, let's do it. All righty. The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network, using new media and social networking to go into all the world and proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, go to gctnetwork.com, subscribe to the newsletter, stay up to date with all our shows, including the Secret Fire podcast and Finding Christ in Cinema. Visit our website at theonautspodcast.com for show notes and outlines. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher, and be sure to rate us because that helps us reach a larger audience. There are several ways you can contact us and leave us feedback. Send us email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com or call us on our voicemail line, 972-885-7270. Tweet to us on Twitter using at Theonautical. Like us on Facebooks. Uh, Facebooks. Facebook. at <laughs> You're just like an old person. I know. <laughs> like us on that on Facebooks at Facebook.com slash Theonauts. If you like us, I like as we you. said before, uh-huh. and want even more Theonauts, drop us a buck or two at patreon.com slash Theonauts. Your patronage helps us in our expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs. Don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's Word with us. All right, Jeremiah, thanks for being here, brother. Thank you, David Gaddy. God bless. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. No, that was a mess up. Hang on, let's do it again. <laughs> this has been it's the like Theonauts the sound of that. Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your Great Commission Transmission at gctnetwork.com. And this man told me, he said, Did you know that we have uh, evolved from protozoas? Do you know what a protozoa is? No, I do not. It's a gall-dong sea monkey. Say what? Can you imagine that? Looking around at the loved ones, at your mother, at your father, at your beautiful wife, and saying, You're a sea monkey. You belong on the bookshelf of a child that's going to neglect you and watch you swim around for a few days and then end up falling to the bottom of the sea monkey aquarium and turning into dust. Holy ghost power. That's awful. Did you?